Welcome to Allegory Story. My name is Tegan Aline. My name is Melanie Nevis. And uh, today, we didn't know who was going to start this opening because uh, we're not, <laughs> nobody's really leading this one today. Today, we're talking about the holiday of Epiphany. Mm-hmm. And it's quite an interesting one because it's actually like a, a Christian holiday. But it's not, I don't know, like it's not widely celebrated in um, in North America, at least not to my recollection <laughs> in the time that I lived and grew up there. No, definitely not. I mean, I didn't really, I always kind of saw it on a calendar. I didn't really know what it was. Like my family was very much Christmas, Easter. Yeah, what we call a CE Catholic, which is ultimately what I was as well, like Christmas you show up on Christmas and you show up on Easter. There was a time where my mom was really, really devout for a few years and we went to every single mass, but I also don't really remember going to mass for this. Um, I think it's really interesting because technically it's supposed to happen on January 6th. Um, So I think a lot of our minds, like once Christmas hits, there's Christmas, there's Boxing Day, which absolutely has nothing to do with anything religious. And and, and then that's it. And then you're getting ready for New Year's. And then you're in the New Year and like, you know, there's no more religious celebration. But actually, for some people, there There is. There is still a lot. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I feel like, yeah, for sure in North America, I don't think it's really popular. Did you do anything with this in Catholic school? No, I, I mean, I don't remember. Maybe we went to mass for it, but I genuinely don't remember doing anything for it. I don't even know if we were back from holiday. I don't think so. Cause I think it all fell right on like in the time that you're just getting back from the holidays. Oh, interesting. Maybe. So I don't yeah. know. My mom used to teach Sunday school back in Portugal when she was way like a lot younger. And I don't, ever remember us talking about this you know we do things also like palm sunday and whatever in lent yes and that sort of thing remember all that stuff yeah epiphany it's no. always the things leading up there's never anything so much after except like i guess during yeah. Easter when there's the resurrection stuff but even then it's not really like only the real hardcores follow up with that so with epiphany though i think it's interesting i was attracted to it originally because of three wise men (laughs) in the story (laughs) i've always been fascinated like who are these people like just coming from nowhere so this was the whole reason i wanted to kind of like look into it a bit more because i wanted to like refresh my memory and kind of just figure out who these guys were (laughs) you know so you just said three wise men and like in my head when you said that i had three blind mice like in my head yeah so three wise men (laughs) three wise men (laughs) And then you make a little ditty. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like I said, it's normally celebrated on January 6th, but January 6th date is here we go again. Can you guess? It's the Julian calendar date. So here's the thing. Most of us in the West, uh, we follow the Gregorian calendar, which would put the celebration actually on January 19th. It's even later into January. Mm -hmm. But... As I was doing some reading, I realized, well, this is predominantly celebrated in the Eastern Orthodox Christianity, and they still follow the Julian calendar. So it's on the 6th for them. Well, yeah. So, well, Russian Orthodox have the nativity on the the 7th, actually, like, and then the baptism of the Lord is 12 days later on the 19th because they follow Mm. 
the original Julian calendar. Like, so it's all like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've also, I've, I've known people here that are originally from the Eastern part of the world and Orthodox religions, but now they're living in the West and they'll still follow, they'll still follow mm-hmm. the dates for them, but here, even though like the calendar. Is yeah. Open. Anyways, that, all that to say, it's at a different time for everybody. Um, but usually it's like 6th or 19th, some, some, one of those two days. Yeah. Under your following, I guess. And it's also got a few names, right? So I was reading that um, in the Orthodox Church, it's called Theophany. Theophany? Yeah. I'm yeah. saying that right. I'm probably not saying the- that. I- Theophany? Theophany. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds better. It sounds more right than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> that's more right. In France, it's called King's Day. Not even Three mm-hmm. Kings Day, not not Wiseman's Day, but it's Three Kings Day. Or sorry, it's King's Day. And that's because uh, the three wise men are also can, called the Three Kings or the Three Magi. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the, the rabbit hole I really went down. So we'll yeah. talk about that a little bit more later. <laughs> but... Um, and, you know, it is celebrated here quite a lot. And I think it is celebrated here on, on January 6th. It's a big enough mm-hmm. or it's the weekend, depending on where January 6th falls. So, if yeah, it's yeah. Kind of. Like I read Halloween. about that as well. It'll fall on the weekend so it could be celebrated, right? Yeah. So I mm-hmm. like the day may not they might not not actually celebrate it on the day, but they'll celebrate it on the weekend. Like I know that we've had a few years happen where like Michael's aunt will call and be like, are you coming over for King's day? And it's like a a tradition you have to go. And it's really all about, to be honest, it's about eating cake. (laughs) I've been eating King's cake since I moved to France. I didn't know what it was about. (laughs) Don't we have, I mean, like, isn't every Christian holiday, it kind of comes back to food is, as your means of celebration, like any, any holiday, any celebration throughout time, you kind of get united through food and then celebrate through that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think after a while you kind of like lose track uh, of what the whole thing is about, you know, which I get. It's it's It's, it's almost like a natural progression in a way. In Portugal, we have like bolre, which is king's cake Mm -hmm. and it's a traditional Christmas cake, but I wonder if it was, it's, it's originally also celebrated on January 6th and I never put the two together because my mom always makes it and we just eat it for Christmas. But traditionally it's mm. mostly eaten on January 6th. It's mostly eaten on Epiphany. So that's like the only relation that I have to Epiphany, but I never actually made that relation until just now. <laughs> did you just have an Epiphany about Epiphany? I did. Oh, I did. That's so cool. <laughs> Hopefully there'll be many more of those as we go on. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, I know. That's one of those things. I feel like in a way there's a little, like, at least I'm speaking on behalf of like us from the West. I I can't speak to people that grew up with Eastern traditions or grew up in the East because like, it it seems like it still has a lot of a deeper connection and meaning for them still. But for us, I feel like we're quite disconnected from the actual holiday itself. And like also in the East, I've also heard that it can be called little Christmas or like Jesus. It's Jesus's baptism because that's like a whole, a whole other aspect of it as well. Um, 
it seems like in the East, it's predominantly focused around his baptism, whereas in the West, it is kind of focused around the Magi themselves and that event. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, It really focuses on the Magi. In the East, it's, it's celebrating, like you said, God at the baptism of Jesus. So that's the primary difference, but it kind of encompasses all of it at this point. It's kind of gotten very muddled, I want to say, in the West especially. Um, But traditionally, I guess the word epiphany was used in Greek religion to indicate the appearance or manifestation of a god or a goddess in human form, along with the suggestion that the person who had this epiphany would be delivered from danger or have their enemies defeated. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> theophany is basically a word that's used a little less frequently unless yeah, you're in the east to mean this the, right way to say it. the same thing yeah. <laughs> what did i say theopany oh my god it's so bad i shouldn't be i shouldn't be left around words like guys i i don't know how but to- here's the thing if you don't hear things you're not necessarily gonna know like i'm sure you know there are people that say chameleon and they never hear chameleon chameleon <laughs> oh my god that just takes me right to how i met your mother exactly <laughs> i don't i feel like i could digress into that like way too much remind me after this i was showing michael yesterday the clip where they're talking about what different alcohols do to them but anyways (laughs) oh my Uh, god yeah so funny um but yeah so okay so for me what i was really interested in about this is is the magi like i like i said earlier i've Mm -hmm. always wanted to know who who these guys were like i felt even as a kid growing up I had a reflection actually while doing this that when I was growing up, um, I was in mul- many a nativity story because I liked theater mm-hmm. and I went to Catholic school. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> those things kind of overlap and it kind of made me chuckle because I realized if I was ever, if I was ever in one of these nativity stories, I was either always playing the magi or the narrator. <laughs> Interesting. I was going to ask, who did you play? So you played one of the Magi. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't remember, I don't remember much about it. Like, it's not like I really Mm -hmm. had gold or frankincense or myrrh in there, which would have been cool. But you know, like when you're a kid, you just like bring a thing and you're like, you're fake baby Jesus. I'm like, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I did. And I think I always kind of wanted to because I was always really interested in the characters right so yeah I guess I guess maybe before we start might be interesting just to go over because we're talking about epiphany itself but epiphany is kind of connected to and blends into another topic we had thought about doing a podcast on which was the nativity story Mm -hmm. so maybe we can just like briefly kind of go over the nativity story to just refresh everybody's memory like very briefly I didn't necessarily research it. I went to Catholic school for like a really long time. So I'm just going off the cuff of memory here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people, even if they aren't Christian at this point, kind of have an idea. Mary and Joseph live in Nazareth like 2000 years ago. Mary's visited by an angel that tells her 
guess what? You're pregnant, pregnant. even though they never (laughs) had sex. Um, (laughs) And um, it's just the story. They're going to deliver a baby that would be named Jesus, and that would be God's son, right? That's basically Nicole's notes version of like. There's also this whole thing that she has to, because she's pregnant, she has to go and like register in where she's from or something like this. Mm. There's like some military, there's something happening where she's supposed to go and register herself. So they get on a, uh, like a donkey and they go Mm -hmm. to register. And I think it's Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. I think she has to go to Bethlehem from Nazareth. Right. So she gets there and then like, she's feeling like the time is coming and there's literally no place for Mary and Joseph to go. And Mm -hmm. so finally they just find this farm and this, or this inn, an inn. And the guy at the inn is like, I have no rooms left in the inn because everybody is being brought, having to travel at this point in time. And, and Mm -hmm. he says, but I have the, you can sleep in the stable, which I mean, I think to us sounds kind of weird, but I think back then it would have been like. Very common. Probably fine. Like not uncommon. Yeah. You stay pregnant woman, but. They didn't know that at the time. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. didn't have – I mean, maybe they did know that, but at the same time, what are you going to do? A lot of people would sleep with their animals. So the way that we learn the nativity story, at least the way I learned it in Catholic school, is that Mary and Joseph end up going into the into the stable. And effectively, this is where Mary has Jesus, and he's born in a manger. And, um, you know – they are surrounded by originally like animals and Mm -hmm. um, stable hand, like farm people on the farm that are like helping like the servants on the farm that like help look after the animals and stuff. And as we learn it as kids, then people start to come. There's that whole story about the little drummer boy that plays like a song for Jesus. There's this Mm -hmm. whole thing about the, the Magi. And that's the, also the kind of interesting twist on it is like, he's in a, the scene is pretty um, earthly and grounded, right? Like it's in a manger, there's yeah. animals around, there's there's common people around. And then all of a sudden these kings or these wise men come with these really, for the time, qu- quite decadent gifts. Even now, gold is a pretty Even decadent now. gift. <laughs> you know? Even now, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like pretty frankincense and myrrh stuff. are so expensive and the resins are so expensive because it's actually so incredibly difficult to harvest them even now. Mm. So to harvest them, you have to basically shave the bark off of a tree, but just Mm. a little bit. You can't do it that much because you can very easily kill the tree if you don't shave it off in the correct way. And then the resin kind of comes out, it oozes and it hardens. Mm. And then they have to go back through and collect that resin. So it's like, it takes a really long time. It's painstaking labor. You can't cut the tree in too many spots at any given time because uh, you can kill it. So mm. it's it's difficult. And they take a really long time to grow before mm. you can actually harvest resin from them. See, I didn't know so, like, that. That's very interesting. Yeah. I yeah. Know. So, okay. Even goes to show the level of of work behind each one of those gifts is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's what always intrigued me about it is it 
thing I've always been interested in the things I don't know. So <laughs> I didn't know about any of that stuff growing up or even now, actually. So, um, <laughs> but you know, I've always wondered like, who are these guys? Who are the, I learned of them as the three wise men growing up and then the three Kings later. And it wasn't until even later that I understood them as the three Magi and just the word in itself kind of you're like what it's really closely related to the word magic there's a big history behind that um but you know essentially they're distinguished visitors from the east and Mm -hmm. in byzantine art so okay a little back to the roman empire so this is the eastern roman empire so this is after the empire kind of splits we haven't gotten into that but apparently that happens um uh, so let's say 330 ad and onwards so in byzantine art the magis are often depicted wearing persian style clothes um mm-hmm. like of like the clothes of persian priests giving yeah. that distinct sense that these are people coming from the the eastern the eastern sides and in the gospel of matthew where this story happens there's actually no number mentioned like we say the three wise men or three kings but actually it's not noted how many kings or wise men there were in the bible anyway um well and there's but there's different um nativity stories in the bible so like matthew has one but i know luke also has one does is it not mentioned in there either from what i read it's not interesting so this is just one of those verbal lores that kind of get handed down because yeah i think i remember reading about that the the three learned men the magi are three men who studied the skies and they're from persia like that area mm-hmm. and they journey because there's some sort of celestial event that's scheduled to take place to herald the birth of a powerful new king mm-hmm. and then they collect the gifts along the way mm-hmm. but they're supposed to be persian but yeah that might not be written in the bible that's just oh, like lore. It's that's not not necessary to say that it's not said if they're Persian or not, but it's just not said how many of them there were supposed to be. Oh, gotcha. So, like, um, we default to three, and I think that it kind of makes sense when you look at Christianity. It loves the number three. We all love the number three. It's usually like a Trinity number, right? So mm-hmm. maybe that's why. But um, in some like Eastern churches, like especially like Syrian churches, there's actually 12 magi in the story. So it just kind of That's so interesting because like we also like in certain traditions, we also have the names of the magi and like Mm -hmm. sometimes the names are Melchior, uh, Balthasar, and Gaspar. And then there's Caspar, 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 Gaspar. Those are like the three, but, but. So it's like CMB are the initials, Caspar, Melchior, Bathasar. But church officials actually say that that stands for Christus Mansionium Benedicat, which means may Christ bless this home in Latin. Okay. So, okay. So, yes, this is is connected to, uh, honestly, like an English tradition, um, chalking of the doors, which is a tradition that they actually do. Yes. Which is a thing that they actually take part in in I think predominantly what was it I actually wrote it down Anglican Lutheran Methodist Presbyterian and sometimes Roman Catholic people participate in this chalking of the doors where they'll 
in the new year, they'll write like a number C plus M plus B plus another number. And it's usually the, the two numbers of the year, right? So 2023 would be like 20 plus C plus M plus B plus 23. Next year it would be 20 C and B 24. Yeah. For like the next one that's coming. And they'll also like put dried herbs and that have been burnt in the doorways and sprinkle some holy water. Yeah. House blessings. I had no idea this was like, and it sounds like incredibly pagan to me, but anyway, I'm not <laughs> going to judge it. It just is what it is. Um, Like what you were saying earlier, I find it always very interesting in the story that they say that they've bec- they've come because they've been following the star of Bethlehem. And you kind of like touched on that earlier that mm-hmm. they had felt they were kind of um, connected with the stars and the sky. Um, I was told the star of Bethlehem was the North star growing up. And I don't know if that's actually, yeah. true, but that's kind of like what the church had, had told me growing up that it was the North star, but I remember hearing this too, but I mean, there is a point, there was a program that I took with the university of Barcelona a few years ago, which was with, um, magic in the middle ages and part of oh, what, I remember you telling me yeah. about this course oh, oh cool. so cool okay, yeah. it was really cool and the <laughs> coolest coolest part was a part I had no idea about and it was actually when they touched on the um the golden age uh the Islamic golden age because this is like mm. really the point where um, like really what we know of our astrology today really comes from that that time and it oh comes gosh. from so much of of the Renaissance and like the enlightened golden age was because of the Islamic people. But you have to remember that the Islamic golden age in history happens during the, the European dark ages, dark and middle ages. Oh, I, I know. I know. So they were like really, it's really interesting because they were like really progressive and quite ahead of their time at the time. In relation Just to that. our surgical tools, like tools in surgeries today, are still named after like the original names that the Islamic population gave a bunch of surgical implements, which is really, really cool. Oh, and no one talks good. about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one talks about it. I'm like, okay, we owe the Islamic world so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because without them, we would not be where we are. We'd still yeah. be using leeches to like suck toxins out of our blood. Word, preach. Oh my God, it's so true. <laughs> I feel like this is the biggest travesty that we just don't, uh, we don't learn enough about this. Um, no, not at I all. I didn't learn anything about this growing up. And I had to kind of like seek out my own information on some of it. Um, like music, art, science, technological advances, like mm-hmm. that's all owed to the so, Islamic population at the time. Yeah, it's incredible. So yeah, I was always interested. I I keep thinking about that and the connection that these guys, obviously these wise men or these magi had uh, to the stars. And I, I wonder what it meant exactly when they said that they were observing his star rising, because it's very symbolic, right? Especially if you if you get any glimpse into who these men are supposed to be, it's quite symbolic Mm -hmm. of um, many things. Like the star rising is like him coming into the world, you know, a light in the darkness. And it connects back to all of the stuff that we've been talking about in this season in relation to solstice. And I felt like this would also be a good time and a good episode for you 
to fully let that rant out <laughs> about Jesus's birthday. Like if we're going to talk about it, this is the show, right? Like, I mean, I- inevitably we'll, we, we can, we'll touch upon it inevitably because I think it would be really cool to just do a season purely on biblical lore and like oh, all yeah. the stuff related to oh, that. I'm already making notes for that. I'll tell you right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I will probably rant about it then the, the, like you said, in the last episode, it's kind of been proven that he was probably actually more so born in June or something like that. I always thought just with the fact that there would be baby sheep, it would be in the springtime Mm -hmm. that he would have been born because that's just logically what makes sense. This is not the time when there are baby animals in, um, some barn somewhere, you know, like it just... This is not when animals have babies. It's it's springtime, spring, summer, when animals have babies, like flat out. That's just, there's no more to say about it. Right, yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. It's borrowed from other traditions. And originally, there's a bunch of other pagan traditions that kind of happen at this time. Yes. So it is, you know, it is one of Christianity's oldest feast days, and it predates Christmas. It predates the celebration of Christmas, obviously. But there was already a pagan feast of the sun god, which was celebrated in Egypt for mm-hmm. the winter solstice on January 6th. Mm-hmm. And on the previous night, the pagans of Alexandria commemorated the birth of their god Aeon and supposedly born of the virgin Kor. And remember, Kor is Persephone later. Mm. Kor is her in her like innocent stance. They believed that on the this night, the waters of the rivers, especially the Nile, acquired miraculous power and even turned into wine. That's an important one. And it's possible that these beliefs prompted the addition of the themes of the birth of Jesus and the miracle of Cana to the Christian's feast. So Cana is when Jesus, at Mary's request, turns a bunch of water into wine. That's exactly where I was hoping you would go with that. That was Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) As a Christian celebration on January 6th, the feast is first mentioned in Clement of Alexandria around the year 215. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the first time that it's like mentioned commemorating the baptism of Jesus on that day. And by the fourth century, the feast in the East kind of acquired this combination of themes of Jesus' birth, his baptism, the miracle of Cana, and the coming of the Magi. But originally... It was celebrated in Egypt as a pagan holiday. (laughs) Okay, so this is kind of like part of what I wanted to get to on this because I think this is why the Magi are interesting to me. They're in a way they're like, um, they're kind of like, they stick out like a green thumb in this story, like, or like a sore (laughs) thumb in this story. Like green thumb. They're magical Magical. things. (laughs) (laughs) And they like plants. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But honestly, they do stick out because uh, they're kind of like not like where this, where the imagery of this whole thing is in a stable and a manger. And I said it earlier, like these guys come in and they're, they're priests, they're kings, they're this, they're that. So I, when I was looking into um, the Magi, One of the things that came up uh, was that the Magi, the word Magi itself is like the plural of the Latin word magus. I hope, am I saying that right? 
Magus, M-A-G-U-S. Is there a more Roman way to say that? You're good with pronunciation, so I'm asking. I feel like that's fine. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But what's double interesting is is it refers specifically to Persian priests of Zoroastrianism. Ooh. Do you know what Zoroastrianism? Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism. Okay. Um. It's Don't get a, mad at me for butchering that word. I want to do it justice because I think this is freaking fascinating. Zoroastrianism, I don't know too, too much about it. Um, they okay. are small in their numbers. And this is probably, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's because you have to be born into it. You can't convert or anything like that. Um And it's supposed to, at its core, kind of represent the never-ending battle between good and evil. Yeah. And so it's like there's this contest between the religion's god and an evil spirit. Yes. And they have, like, believers have the freedom to basically make good or bad choices. And, Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, that's, from what I remember, like, from university yeah. Many moons ago, that's I, very little, but like that's. So, another really interesting point of this religion is that it's actually considered one of the world's oldest organized faiths. Mm-hmm. It's an Iranian religion. And mm-hmm. exactly what you said, it creates this dualistic co- cosmology of good versus evil. Um, I'm just going to literally read something that I, I just, I took from online. Okay. It has a dualistic cosmology of good and evil within the framework of a monotheistic onology, which predicts the ultimate conquest of evil by good, like what you just pretty much said. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It exalts an uncertain and benevolent deity wisdom known as Azura Mazda. So the Lord of Wisdom as its supreme being. Mm-hmm. Um, what is really, really interesting about this is that if you look into it, like if you just read like quickly the overview of what this religion is, it sounds really familiar. <laughs> what does it sound like? Like, like prior to reading this, I I didn't know of another religion. That Are you really... you're you're thinking that it sounds like the Cathars because they also have a dualistic view? No, 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 absolutely. Oh, okay. Well, okay, yeah, I think you could say that, but the Cathars were Christian. The Cathars were. Christian. I know they were Christian. Yeah. So what do you? So so mm. what am I driving at here? Okay, I'll tell you what I'm driving mm. at here. Um, I read about this tradition and I read about how they bring the three magi into this story. And I think it's really particular, especially when you look at the Bible itself being essentially created or like we'll say published by Mm -hmm. um, a pagan Roman who converts on his deathbed to Christianity. Um, Right. To me, when I was reading about all of this, I was like, it just sounds like what they did, knowing what we know from the other episodes about the Romans having no qualms with like praying to somebody else's God to hope that they would get what they would want. (laughs) It really just feels like what we know of as Christianity is essentially the framework of this religion. Oh, like I thought that that's, I I basically thought that 
Well, yeah, because didn't basically it helped create all of the Abrahamic traditions. Yeah, it did. It absolutely. Oh, okay. Did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I like, didn't realize that's where you were driving. I was yeah. like, I thought you wanted something more specific. I'm like, well, the no. Cathars specifically. No, no, no. It's very interesting because I don't think that, well, I think a lot of people don't necessarily know about this. So I think it's really interesting because this dualism framework comes from this old Iranian religion. And then we take a story from the Egyptian culture and mythology. And we know the Romans were very invested in Egypt at a certain point, especially in that oh, very era, much especially so. in that time. Um, so yeah. we take this Zorian, Zor, how do you say it? Zorian. Zoroastrian. Zoroastrian framework we take an Egyptian story throw it in there and then if Jesus was alive and was like a prominent figure in and around this time we just like slap his name on it and we've got ourselves like this repackaged religion it's and rebranded yeah you know I've I've always said that Paul is the greatest marketer of all time Okay. The Apostle Paul is absolutely the greatest marketer of all time. And there are so many beliefs that, you know, Jesus had his main disciples, his main following, and there are so many beliefs that they had to go underground after Jesus's death. And Paul kind of sought them out um, after he had his own epiphany. <laughs> um, he sought them out. <laughs> And they they were just like, no, you cannot join us. And because of that rejection, he like started writing all of these letters and basically said that he had his own like revelation and marketed the religion to be what it is today, mm-hmm. or at least the early parts of what it is today. Yeah. So it was just a little it, it was a little bit of a to be not to be so cliche, but it was a bit of an epiphany for me, actually, because <laughs> I didn't know much about, I don't, I still don't know much about it, but I can even see just in the basic framework of this, of this religion, um, that it's very similar. And like you said, it goes on, they've actually, you know, a lot of people have verified that it goes on to later inform all of these, all of these other religions, the religions Mm -hmm. that we actually consider today, even including Buddhism, I think was also included in that list. Um, Really? That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, it goes on to influence other religious and philosophical systems, including the Abrahamic religions, the Gnosticism, uh, Northern Mm -hmm. Buddhism, and Greek philosophy. Cool. So, yeah, that is something I would love to do a deeper dive on later because... Yeah, I'd be into that. For me to find, like, an origin of something that's been going on and, and... and reshaped and redone for so long is so fascinating, but it's just really kind of blew my mind a little bit. And I was, I remember, I think I sent you a message being like, I feel so, I didn't even think it was possible (laughs) to be more disillusioned than I already am, but like hot damn. Yeah. I mean, Zoroastrianism is like, like you said, one of the oldest organized religions, like possibly around 4,000 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still around today. Just the numbers are really small. Well, geez, I guess, considering everything that's gone on in the world, that kind of makes sense, especially if you can't convert into it, if you have to be born into it. That's, I, I, like, don't quote me on that. That's what Mm -hmm. I remember hearing, like, I don't know, over 10 years ago in university, but maybe I'm remembering that incorrectly. But I also think it's really interesting that all of these religions 
and even philosophies at this point that it's informed. Um, I, I, I think it's very interesting that people love to gravitate towards or they feel very connected to the concept of good and versus evil. And I'm not saying it's not real. Um, I feel like especially in a way, I feel like sometimes we're living in a time where we're being faced with that feeling on a daily level with what what's happening in the world right now. Um, and maybe that's why that's such an attractive um, theology as to the ultimate form of the universe, because like it, I've always questioned whether dualism was actually like a real thing. Um, so that's kind of like where my thinking comes in and around that because obviously there's a, there are other faiths that don't necessarily believe in that in that dualism i but. think that it's just very much um <clears throat> humans are inherently flawed and that means that understatement of a innately lifetime. Huh? huh understatement of a lifetime yeah <laughs> in, inherently there are humans and actions that are good and and actions that are bad and it's a really simplistic way of looking at the world but sometimes when you have something bad to focus on like it's also a unifying thing to Mm -hmm. then be on the good side and fight against it and and Mm -hmm. this is something that we've seen time and time again it's stories that resonate really heavily with us often follow this guidelines like I love the Lord of the Rings so do you but like that's very much a story of good and evil Absolutely. and like of of banding together to fight evil as well right yeah i think there's something about it too that gives like a clear like usually in these types of stories whether they're biblical stories or they're you know fantasy stories that we love there it, it seems so obvious it seems so obvious what is good and it seems so obvious what is bad And I think Mm -hmm. it's interesting because when you put it into real world context, it's way more like complex than that. It's much harder. So much more. Like, honestly, especially, you know, before this, we were talking about everything that's happening right now um, in, in, in the world and in the East and what's going on. And it's like, so there are so many people that it seems very clear, kind of like sitting on the quote unquote wrong side of history, but it's like, do they see it that way? <laughs> Maybe not. Probably because, not, right? Because, because whatever not. their information is that they're receiving, they may not understand it to be that way. Um, so I think that that's always really, really interesting when it comes into real world scenarios with people because we do believe in this dualism, but then like the nuances of that are like very complex in the real world scale of things. But I've always been really interested in that that concept anyway. So I was really happy mm-hmm. to find a connection to like the early, early concept of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And also I think Absolutely. it's like, it's telling. It's telling that um, the Magi are there. Maybe the Magi represent something bigger than we're understanding. Because they're coming from the East. They are mm-hmm. the priests of this religion. And they are actually giving gifts to Jesus and then they decide instead of going back to Herod they decide to leave and return um it's almost like they have been converted in the process of of seeing Jesus and so I don't think that it's necessarily 
it's it's not telling in an obvious way, but it's telling of like what the messaging was behind that putting them in the story is symbolic mm-hmm. of something bigger. You know what I mean? Of a shift yeah. Of, yeah. in cultural understanding and reference that maybe is kind of lost on us now and, and really like whittles down to a, a cake with a little baby inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, yeah. it could, could actually have some meaning connected to it that's quite a lot more significant than that. I think that that's probably very true. And it's, um, you know, subliminal messaging is a thing. It always has been. I think that's a way to, yeah, get get the population to better grasp and understand this new story. And it let's not forget that this took a long time because then there was a period where Christians were persecuted for this belief system afterwards, right? And so it wasn't like it happened overnight, but this story and this doctrine kind of, like you said, I think you're right. It does represent this shift. And so the people who did believe in it, like firmly held on to this Mm -hmm, story mm -hmm. moving forward. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Did you see that video I sent you? Mm, Which one? I sent you. I haven't uh, watched anything yet. You have to watch that video I sent you because I think more okay. than once on this podcast, I've I've like gone on this rant about like, we need a timeline of history. And you're like, yeah, but it's super <laughs> long. It would take for fucking ever. Somebody did it. <laughs> Somebody did it and made it really funny. And I only oh, sent yeah. you. I only sent you one part of it because it's long, but <laughs> obviously because it's the history of time. <laughs> Yeah, history of time. There, there are people on YouTube that like break it down in a really hilarious way. It yeah. might be that. It might actually be that. Yeah. What I sent you was yeah. just like a clip of that. But I'm gonna post that <laughs> on our social medias because. <laughs> Bravo to whoever did done. it. Brilliantly done. It was so good. I got so excited watching it. I was like, "Yes, this is what I've been talking about forever." You know. <laughs> I know it's just difficult. Like it's really easy to not easy. It is really difficult to just like create a timeline like that. But then to go into the nuances of everything, oh, you have gosh. to stop. No, you have they, to stop. They and don't actually nuance. Break it down. They don't really nuance a lot because it's kind of hard to do actually, especially when we don't have a lot. We don't always have the reference material to get into nuance. Like you know, no, a you lot just hit the highlights. I think, I think we don't necessarily understand that a lot of these like higher level, uh, like, um, I would say like academic learnings in relation to history, archeology, span science, a lot of it's speculative, (laughs) like with science, they created a process to try and prove their speculations. But I mean, ultimately we're all just taking very educated guesses. (laughs) Pretty much. And there have been times where something was proven in science and then later it's proven wrong yeah right so I think I just thought that this whole story um related to the magi that was kind of like the the little rabbit hole that I went under I also thought it was really funny this is a completely unrelated but Balthazar is one of the three wise men but where do you know the name Balthazar from well as as a, a demon but I think the Balthazar as a demon isn't it spelled with a z well, I looked up the spelling of Balthazar this way. It was also spelled with a Z. But Oh, really? I looked even, at it and it was spelled with an S. Even more so, um, it's the one of the main characters in Charmed. In Charmed. 
which I'm like, how do we get here? Like, I'm just, I'm constantly just blown away by like how we get from that to this. You know what I mean? Like humans are crazy. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Was Balthazar a a demon? Now I'm just like, is he a demon? No, Balthazar is just... I know him as a demon from Charmed. I don't know if he was a a demon in any other situation, but... Maybe that's just where I have that in my mind. Because I'm like, was Balthazar actually a demon now? I don't remember. You know me. I watch every single, like, fantasy, esoteric-y show under the sun. And (laughs) I love them, but I also think they've really detrimented us in terms of like they use yeah. a lot of stuff that's just like it's just wildly inaccurate don't take tv shows as 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 fact people if you're seeing stuff no, about don't do tv that. shows about mm-hmm. demons and stuff it's probably not accurate and i know you're like what do you mean accurate it's not real but like i mean there is some level of accuracy in this somewhere speculative <laughs> then this is how folk tales evolve yeah <laughs> This is the cluster <laughs> F of the folktale, guys. That's funny. That's why they're so fun to kind of like dive into, right? Yeah. Well, and so I guess I'm going to go into a little bit more of a folk tradition around Epiphany, but oh, on yes. a specific, like in a specific part of the world. So um, I had mentioned, you know, Eastern churches all kind of seem to have a blessing or water ritual associated with Epiphany. Um a lot of countries in Central Europe and stuff, they do have that house blessing that we were talking about earlier. Uh, you know, in France, you call it King's Day. In Portugal, we have King's Cake, so I assume that we also call it King's Day. I should really look into that a little bit more. I never celebrate made that King's connection. Day in oh. uh, New Orleans as well, by the way. Oh, That's interesting. Right. Yeah. In Spanish-speaking country, the three kings receive wish letters from children. And magically bring them gifts before Epiphany, kind of similar to Santa Claus. So that's something that happens in Spanish, a few Spanish-speaking countries. And children prepare um, like drinks and cookies for them and little treats, very much like children in North America do for Santa Claus. So like there are all these custom, like folk customs surrounding Epiphany that are less religious, let's say, and similar customs exist in Italy around a woman called La Befana. And La Befana is represented by an old woman riding a broomstick through the air, delivering sweets and candies to good kids and garlic, coal, and onions to the rascals. Wow, we've heard this. So, wow, so interesting, eh? <laughs> Yeah, like and the these. origins of – it's yeah. so cool. The origins of La Befana can be traced back to the 10th to 9th century BCE. Okay, way back. Okay, Uh way back there. Uh At that time, people had rituals celebrating the end of the year's harvest and the beginning of a new season in the agricultural calendar. And at this time, Bifana was more like a Mother Nature character. Uh And that, like the 12th night after Christmas, would go from door to door to leave seeds and buds to be planted during the new year. Very agriculturally based. And then the ancient Romans kind of inherited these rituals to celebrate the 12 days after the winter solstice and the soul invictus. Yeah. Yeah. And the soul invictus. And Mm -hmm. remember, the soul invictus is kind of like them celebrating their sun god, the Mm -hmm. unconquered sun Mm -hmm. at the end of their calendar year. 
Mm-hmm. So um, they would celebrate this rebirth of nature at this time. And at this time, Romans then believed that unknown female figures would fly over these cultivated fields to ensure excellent results for future crops. And then again, like this is where we start hearing that La Befana flies. Mm. So like she starts off as just like this agricultural goddess or like mythical figure of sorts and moves into this being that actually buys that celebrates the end of the calendar year. So La Befana is an old and ugly woman. And if you actually enter the word Befana into Google Translate, any guesses as to what you get? What's the word that you get? Ugly. Hag. Hag. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's a witch. Yeah. It's a witch, y'all. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> She's got a really large nose. She has rotting and crooked teeth. She's got warts and moles on her face. One of her symbols grief. is a broom. She she uses the broom to sweep up all of the past of the year away and prepare yeah. and cleans the space for the new, to welcome yeah. the new. And so the reason that she's ugly is because she represents the end of the year. She's the crone. And even- Finally, we get a story about the crone. All right. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Yeah. And even though she looks really grim, she's always smiling. Okay. She wears a little old black mm-hmm. shawl. She's covered in a layer of soot because she enters children homes through, any guesses? The chimney. Yeah. Chimney. She enters homes through the chimney. And there is a custom in Tuscany where they burn little Befana dolls and the remaining coal will be placed in children's socks along with candies as a reminder of the past year. So they get treats, but they also get this piece of coal to kind of remember what has happened in the past. Interesting. So she goes around carrying a big hamper full of candies and gifts for children. And children hang their stockings on the mantle of their fireplace, or they'll put shoes out of the window if they don't have that. So Bifana can fill them with presents. I'm so confused. I'm like, what season are we in right now? Because this feels like it belongs (laughs) in our October season. (laughs) Almost. I know. Kind of. But But a lot of the things that she's doing also sounds like a Santa figure. Yeah. She 100% sounds like a Santa figure. Absolutely. And there are actually two Christian legends associated with Bifana. So she did all this stuff beforehand. And then Christianity comes in and they're like, hey, we can can take some of this on. Because those Romans were onto something. If we just like piecemeal everything, it'll it'll be fine. (laughs) It'll be good. So there's two Christian legends associated with Bifana. One and probably the most popular is that the three wise men, our magi, stopped at Bifana's hut on their way to honor the son of God. And they told her they were following yeah, they a did. comet in the sky. And they asked for more information. And she was pretty uninvolved in the matter. And, and she was just like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but if you want a place to stay tonight, sure, you can stay here. Mm. So she offers them shelter. And She's considered like the best housekeeper in the village and she has the warmest house. Nice. And the Magi, you know, after spending the night there, invite her to join them on their journey to visit baby Jesus. But she declines because she's really busy with household chores. Mm -hmm. And after they leave, she begins to regret her decision and she runs out in the middle of the night to look for them and to look for the baby Jesus and she can't find them. 
So to make sure she's giving presents to the right baby, she just decides to leave something for every child. And from then on, she spends the night of January 5th bringing presents to all of the children in Italy. And that's how an Italian folk story got converted (laughs) to Christianity. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. Oh my gosh, that's so wild. Yeah. The second legend actually says that she was just an ordinary woman with a son, but her son sadly passed away Mm -hmm. and she was left full of pain and sorrow. But she hears about this birth of Jesus and decides to go and visit and honors him by bringing baby clothes as a gift. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, noticing the pain of her loss, gives her the gift in return where she's to be the mother of all of the babies in Italy. And so that's that's why she goes around. Yeah, she goes around delivering these gifts and everything. So today, Bafana is still a cherished holiday, kind of like a second Christmas. And she was originally more important than Santa. You know what? Like this kind of tracks. That sounds like one of the only stories that's probably written by a woman because it's the only story (laughs) where somebody (laughs) thought to bring Jesus clothes. I know. Only a mom, only a mom would think, hey, like Mary and Joseph are in a manger. (laughs) Maybe he needs something to wear. (laughs) That's Yeah. And so to celebrate today, like besides all the candies that kids can kind of find in their stockings above the chimneys, in certain areas, they'll prepare what are they called? Bifanini cookies. Or neche, which are crepes made with chestnut flour and filled Mm. with fresh ricotta. Mm. And in the 80s, there was like a really small municipality in the province of Masacrara in northern Tuscany, where on the night of Epiphany's Eve, small groups of people would dress up like Befana and visit every family in town and offer candies to children and get warm beverages. And now it's just much more of a contemporary event. So people take to the streets and there's music and entertainment in, oh my in this gosh. village. Is this where we get Christmas sugar cookies from? Because I just Google, I just did like a quick Google search for the Befanini. Befanini? And they just, they're Probably. like the star-shaped sugar cookies. Yeah. So it very well could be. Oh my gosh. Oh, next time you come here for Christmas, let's, <laughs> let's go to Italy. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah, I would love to do that. That sounds, it sounds great. super, super fun. <laughs> Tuscany's really not so far. Kayla and I spent Christmas in the south of Italy mm-hmm. um, in Lecce one mm-hmm. year. And that was really, really fun. And they have... In the south, they have these cakes made of, or not made of fish. They have these cakes that are made to look like fish and like. Oh, yeah. Um, very Catholic. Thing. Yeah. 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 It's like that classic fish shape. Like the classic fish shape. Yeah. And they have <laughs> a bunch of uh, like almond cookies or classics. And uh, they had so many delicious sweets mm-hmm. down there. It was really, really nice. Yeah. <laughs> also, just a side note for anybody that's super gluten intolerant listening to this, Italy is apparently one of the best countries in Europe, if not the world, for like gluten intolerance. Like people traveling. Oh, because so many things are made of almond flour. So many delicious yes. sweets are made of almond flour. And they have a bunch of 
um, specific gluten-free grocery stores where you can go and get bread and pasta and stuff like that. That is like, you go in there and everything is gluten-free. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, I saw this online and I was like, is it true? And then like, so this summer, Michael and I just did a little quick jet across the border while we were in, in the Alps um, yeah. just for like a day trip. And I, immediately I found so much because I can't really eat wheat. It's not that I can't eat gluten, but I can't eat wheat. And I found so many gluten-free options, which are usually not made with wheat. Um, and, it yeah. was, and it was all true. And I was really excited and blown away by that. So that's just a side note. If you would like to go to Italy at some point and celebrate this holiday and you're gluten intolerant, just know that you can. <laughs> Well, then you'd, you'd like the, the Christmas cookies in Lecce, mm. the fish made of marzipan. It's made of marzipan. It's delicious. Oh, yum, yum. I like marzipan. Yeah. Yum, yum, yum. Yeah. So Anyways, I like that we ended this whole story <laughs> on cookies. <laughs> we brought it back to food. We brought it back to food. Like, this is, this is, this is the modern age. But this is just it. I think that's always been, like, with any celebration – throughout time food is just a very uniting thing absolutely you gather around food food Kitchen and parties. story and food and stories kind of come hand in hand especially around celebrations like this yeah um, exactly so, so interesting on one hand I feel like it really like when we're going back to like the level of like the king's cake it feels like it's kind of like the story has been diluted and diluted and diluted and now it's yeah. back back to a cake. But actually in a way, the opposite <laughs> could be true. You can take it from the cake and kind of like find out all of this information. So yeah. it's really cool. I, I really enjoyed researching this because I felt like in this series, we've covered a lot of other topics, but we... I don't think we wanted to cover like the classical Christmas or the classical Christian Christmas because like kind of everybody knows no. it. But this is something that's yeah. kind of connected to that, that has all of these other ties to other things, which is really, really interesting and neat. And yeah. And it's one that's just less celebrated, at least in the West. And, you and like, well, in North you know America. All the stories, but maybe not. <laughs> you you don't. Yeah. You don't. And we didn't even touch on Herod. Well, like you said, I, like he's a dude and I, we, you know, we've talked about him briefly in the, in the witch series we did in October, but I think like mm -hmm. you said, we just like need to do like a whole like biblical, I love the yeah. idea of a biblical lore because that's really what it is at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right, so we are going to go on hiatus for a couple of weeks as oh, yeah. we celebrate the holidays. We'll be back in January, um, but enjoy whatever you decide to celebrate or not celebrate. If it's just a day off for you, um, enjoy it. If it's just gathering with friends and family and eating delicious food with no other connotation, enjoy it. If you're doing something religious, enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Yeah, and maybe this series has kind of given you some insight into a whole bunch of different holidays, celebrations, ideologies around the holidays, the Christmas season. And maybe, you know, like uh, you found something in here you liked. So here's a new opportunity to maybe incorporate something new this year or not. Do as you will, but we're going to go enjoy our holidays. I know that I'll be incorporating some stuff. From what we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, I'm going to make series. some sugar cookies or something. Maybe some marzipan fish cakes. I'm all about that. <laughs> I'm all about those candles. Like everything related to the candles. And like how am I going to do stuff with candles yeah. this year. Um, yeah. But 
yeah, like Mel said, we're going to go away for a little while. We'll be back in the new year with a whole new season. We're not going to tell you what it is yet, but it's a good one. We're both really excited about it. (laughs) So with that, wishing you a phenomenal holiday season, whatever you celebrate. Um, Hope you're with people that fill you up and make you feel happy. And we hope you have a wonderful, warm, cheery time of year. And we'll see you next time. See you in the new year, guys.